Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Lane Race and Scott Patsko. And where's the third name? Where's the third name? Exciting yet sad news here on Gotta Watch the Tape if you follow our Browns coverage, and I know you do. You're probably already aware of this. The great Ellis Williams is leaving us. He is headed off uh, into even bigger, more exciting things in the world of uh, journalism and football. But he's here to say goodbye. He's here to say goodbye because, um, listen, I mean, I'm going to be, I mean, a lot of the stuff, Ellis, that you've done is pretty good. You know, whatever, you write a film story, whatever. But here on Gotta Watch the Tape is where you could shine. And now uh, we're going to keep doing it. Scott Patsko and I are going to soldier on. We will have a breakdown of the Browns run game that Scott has dug in on. And we'll talk a little bit about what you need to know from a numbers and film standpoint about the Arizona Cardinals for Sunday. But Ellis, did you like this podcast? What's the deal? Did I drive you away? Just be honest. Oh, man, this is this was the hardest part about leaving, man. No more got to watch the tape once a week. Look. It has been a, a blast and a ride. Uh, I, I find it fitting that uh, the pandemic is, in a way, what started Got to Watch the Tape as Cleveland.com moved to the daily podcast, and we saw an opportunity to provide film and numbers and a deeper dive into these football games. And we grew this into what I hope fans have been enjoying as a pretty cool product. It forced me to be on top of my game, uh, where I'm headed next. I wish I could bring Scott Pasco because with the information and data he provided, I always had to stay on top of my stuff. And I thought we complimented each other well. And it's been a blast. And Doug, you're not the only reason I'm leaving, but it really was over when I agreed to the Carson Wentz bet with the Browns. And I knew that I was like, all right, this isn't going well. And I had to find a way to get out of it. So there, there you go. You, that, I'll, I'll bother this one respectfully. We we kind of pretended that the bet was about who had to hang a poster in their <laughs> office. It was actually over one of us has to go, and so yeah. this is this is Carson Wentz's fault. I'm I'm sorry if the if the Colts were five and zero, oh, Ellis would still be here, but instead uh, the Colts are terrible, and Ellis had to leave town. And I don't regret a thing. No, that's not why. I'm going to send you the poster, and you will take when I win the bet at the end of the year. And the bet is that uh, if the Browns had a better record than the Colts, 
Ellis had to hang a poster in his office that said Carson Wentz sucks with like a nice picture from North Dakota State of Carson Wentz looking like a good old bison. And if the Colts finish with better record than the Browns, I had to hang like a beef co- a beefcake uh, shot of, <laughs> of, of Carson Wentz like muscularly hunting in the woods that said, I love Carson Wentz in my office. I'm feeling good about where I am. Ellis, it would help us. Can you just give your address here on the pod so I know where to mail you the poster when I win the bet? Yeah, I, I, I need to find a way to follow through with this, Doug. It doesn't surprise you one bit. A victory lap is not enough. And look, after that Monday night football game, when, when Lamar made that monster comeback, uh, I knew it was about a wrap. So you may as well uh, get that printed, get it laminated, and, and I'll get you in the DMs with my new address once I figure that out. In, in the process of moving, man, there's a, a lot of stuff going on. But, let me ask. Let me, go ahead, Scott. Go ahead. I was going to say, I just wanted to mention when I first like thought about doing this podcast, like it started, wheels started turning. It was largely built around the things that you did, that Ellis did. Um, and you were already kind of talking about that kind of stuff on the daily pod, but I thought we really needed like a place to dig in, talk about why things happened during the games. And uh, I originally thought it was going to be me asking you a lot of questions and like throwing in some data points here and there, but they like made us take Doug and mm. we overcame that. I think we really overcame that, but uh, you know, we made it an informative podcast, but uh, I did want to say that you were vital to, you know, t- to getting this thing greenlit, I think. And uh, it wasn't going to work, you know, with, without someone in your role. I don't know how we're going to fill it going forward. Like Doug said, we're going to soldier on, but uh, I think you're leaving big shoes to fill. That means a lot, Scott. And look, we carried Doug all the way here, and now that is on your shoulders. You're going to have to be Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt now. Just carry him to the finish line, man. I, I, I believe in you. Yeah. I like I like the idea that people were like, you know what? I do. People are excited about this numbers and film podcast, but it needs more shouting. I do think it needs more shouting. Let's. What if we put this guy in it too? Uh, I do want to talk about this briefly before before we let you go, Ellis. I do find it interesting. I think this happens a lot in sports and the way you cover sports, things start off as like, Hey, let's do this thing kind of on the side is like a separate thing. It's sort of, sort of like a bonus or an addition to normal beat coverage. Like it's a, well, you know, we'll do this as a special thing, but I actually think, and I'm sure you're going to take this on with you. The idea that, that, I mean, listen, we do this as a once a week thing, but so much of what you guys do with the film and numbers is just beat coverage now. It's not on the side. It's primary. It's how you do it. That, yes, you ask questions, and yes, you go to games, and yes, you try to get information from players and coaches and agents and everybody else. But, Ellis, like, this is not bonus stuff anymore. Scott, this is not bonus stuff. There was a time even a couple of years ago where I think it was. Ellis, I know you're going to take this on and this is just part of how you cover a team in the NFL now, is it not? Yeah, the information is readily available, and, and you got to be on yeah. top of it, and it keeps you informed, and, and it gives you a better basis to ask coaches questions and understand what's going on in the field. And the fans and the consumers demand a better product because they have that information at their finger prints too and really uh we're hoping nfl game pass and the all 22 gets us figured out because this really is called gotta watch the tape and all 22 has been miserable experience this year um so i think that that along with the data has helped make football fans uh better consumers of the game smarter and that forces us journalists reporters and sports writers to step our game up and i believe that's what we did here at gotta watch the tape and all the teams are doing this too behind the scenes they have staffs doing and talking about the things that we talk about here. So 
it's, it's where we're at. No, I, I think it's fun. And I do think that, that a time when film was like an exclusive thing and, and, and the deep, deep numbers were an exclusive thing. And listen, well, we knew who had how many rushing yards and we knew what happened on the TV screen, but it was hard for people out here to know any more than that, that it's much easier for us. It's much easier for the listeners and the readers to know that. I think people like being smart about stuff. It makes it more fun. I think the more informed you are, and listen, it's not for everybody, but there's a lot of people who want to come along for the ride on stuff like this. So um, it has been fantastic. It will continue to be fantastic with Scott, with me shouting. And I do think we're going to make sure this film part of it is a component of our coverage. And so that's not going to end. We just have to find the right people to help us continue that. Ellis, are you keeping the Twitter? You got the same Twitter? Same Twitter, Book of Ellis. You guys always know how to find me. Book of Ellis, find him on Twitter. He's going to keep writing about football. And that's one of the things too. It's people love their teams, but I think people love like smart coverage of the sport. And so that's going to continue with Ellis Williams, no matter where he goes. Ellis, it's been a privilege. It's been a lot of freaking fun. And uh, we are desperately going to miss you, but we're going to be super excited uh, to follow you in your next venture. Thanks for everything, y'all. I know you'll do a great podcast today. And eventually we'll find an excuse to start that Got to feel the emotions podcast spinoff. I'm not giving up on that. <laughs> it's going national. <laughs> Actually, that's going to be the rest of this show because Scott and I are just going to be like, how do we feel about Ellis leaving? Um, <laughs> it's time. It's a time for that. We might have to kickstart that sooner than later. Ellis Williams, good luck, my friend. Uh, it is goodbye, but it is not. What's the thing? It's like not farewell. I don't know. I mean, you're just, you're still going to be around. I mean, social media and stuff. It'll be fine. Uh, but yep. we won't see it. We won't see it on the podcast every week, but we are allowed to have guests. So maybe uh, down the line, we'll have a, a visit from you uh, at some point. Let's plan on it. Thanks again. And take care, y'all. Ellis Williams, everybody. It's been great. And uh, he is uh, he is a rising star in the business and he's going to be doing great stuff uh, covering football. Scott Pasco, you and I are going to do this podcast again. Listen, we're, we're Cleveland.com. We're monster, man. I don't know what to tell you. We have like a gazillion people dedicated to covering the Cleveland Browns in every different, every way possible of doing this. So this podcast is not going anywhere and we're going to find other voices to include here. Maybe it'll be a variety of people, but um, the ratio of shouting to analysis should not be 50, 50. So we need two people analyzing We can't have more than 33% shouting. So we'll mm-hmm. get to that. But in the meantime, you're just going to have to do a lot more work. And I'll try to shout <laughs> slightly less. But we do want to dive in on the Browns run game. And I do think it's interesting, Scott, because I do think this is probably the part of the team that we all take for granted the most. It's like, oh, the run game. Oh, they're good at that. Oh, what do they do? Well, they have a good offensive line. And they have two great running backs. And boom, wait, there you go. But mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, it's there's – there's, there's more, there's more to it than that, Scott. And that's, what we're going to dive in here. So Scott Pasco dive in and I got to watch the tape. Yeah. You know, we talk, I've, we don't do it all the time, but a, a big part of this podcast is talking about the things that aren't working right. You know, and trying yes. to figure out why uh, we're going to spend a little time today talking about something that is working and talking about why. And uh, as far as the Browns running game goes, it really there's two reasons um, I wanted to talk about this week. Number one, in a lot of ways, it's even better than last season. And number two, that third and nine call, draw call against the Chargers at the end of Sunday's game has been a real big talking point this week. Um, so I want to kind of wrap that into this as well. And we'll get to that, but I'm going to start with where the running game is after five weeks. Um, we'll start with some of the more 
traditional, I guess, stats. Um, we will get to some a little more involved and I'm going to kind of have a, you're going to have to get out your pens and pencils and, and notebooks and, and take notes here. And uh, I'm going to try to provide a lesson on, on one stat that we're probably going to be talking about a lot more this season. But as far as regular traditional ranks, yes, the Browns have the most rushing yards in the NFL with 938. You look at that, okay, they're good. You know, it's easy to figure out. 187.6 per game. They also lead the league in attempts, 175. They average 35 carries per game. They're averaging 5.4 yards per game, which also ranks first. So just a lot of firsts there. It's difficult to keep up those high averages over the course of a season. There's still 12 games to go. A lot can happen. We know that from last season. Uh, but at this point, the Browns are ahead of where they were last year when they finished third in rushing yards per game. Their averages per carry are up almost five per game. Their average yards per carry is up almost a full yard. Their average yards per game are up by 40. They have 12 rushing touchdowns through five games. So they're on a pace of TDs per game rushing. That's almost double what they were at last year. Again, they got a long way to go, but they're really starting off at, at a high and a high spot. Those are the traditional stats. I want to mention how the Browns run game ranks in expected points added or EPA. But first I feel like I should explain a little bit about EPA real quick here because we didn't get into it as much last season. And I'm going to be mentioning it a lot a little more access to that stuff this year. So like I said, I'll get your notebooks. This is the out. pencil. This is the pencil yeah, part. Yeah. And, and pay attention and pay attention. Okay. Environmental <laughs> protection. Intro to EPA. Agent C. <laughs> Don't put oil in a river. That's number one. Don't put one. oil in a river. Okay, go ahead. That is good advice. Um, expected points is an advanced stat that's really been around since the 70s. Um, but it really hasn't been in the mainstream uh, until like the last decade. I, I like this. Like, stuff. There was, it's like it's been a stat that's been around since the seventies, but in the seventies, if you tried to bring it up, the head coaches called you a nerd and locked you in a closet. So well, no one talked in, about it in the seventies. This one guy in a room with a notebook and a bunch of play-by-play data chart and stuff. And, you know, yeah, not telling anybody or yeah, nobody really giving him the time of day. Like, what, what, what do I want to look at this for? But basically expected points is, He uses play-by-play data to create a scoring probability for each play based on field position, down distance, time remaining, stuff like that. So you're coming up with a probability on what's going to happen on that play. So first and goal from the opponent's one-yard line has an expected value of six points. Hopefully that makes sense to everybody. If you're at the one-yard line, you're kind of expected to to get in the end zone, score six points. If you have first and 10 from your own 20, then you have expected value much lower. It's about 1.2 points because not every – play is going to end up starting off a touchdown drive or even a field goal drive. So every down has that expectation as it relates to a team getting close to the end. So that's basically what expected points is now expected points added or EPA, which is what I'm going to mention here in a minute. That's the expected points gained or lost from a play. So in other words, this is what was expected to happen on this play based on all the historical data we have on other plays and that down in distance and time and all that stuff. And here's what actually happened. And then the difference is EPA. It could be a plus number or a minus number. That's the layman's explanation. I got that. I got that. Good. So the real explanation involves really long mathematical formulas and numbers and letters. Oh, no, 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 no. No letters. No letters. I think only Paul D. Podesta really understands. So hopefully this gives people a better understanding of of EPA. I will say my daughter, my daughter is a high school senior and she's like in this uh, math thing and they have to do like a big final project in math. And she did a thing about 
analyzing the records of NBA teams at different points in the season and trying to figure out what your expected record by the end of the year is. And I said, that's analytics. You're doing analytics. Cause she was like, I hate math. The only way I can make it palatable is by turning it into sports. And I said, and that's how you become a general manager now. Yeah. Those jobs exist. Yeah. They're exciting. Browns, the Browns employ a lot of people who do just that. Um, so anyways, back to the Browns running game. The Browns are ranked first in EPA per rushing attempt this season and in total EPA on running plays. And that total EPA, which is 17.35, and I'm not going to name a lot of these numbers because I think that just fogs things up, but their total EPA is actually double that of every other team except the Titans when they run the ball. So Holy clearly they're getting a lot of value out of running the ball. Last year, they started off really well. They were ranked top five in EPA per attempt, but then Nick Chubb got hurt, and the running game was never really the same. They finished 16th in EPA per attempt, 19th in total EPA. So, again, while the Browns are kind of in the same ballpark with their averages per carry and averages per game and uh, stuff like that, they're getting more value out of those runs this season, and that's kind of the point I wanted to make here on this this first first section. Can I can – I, there's a thing that I've been wondering about. And I don't know if this makes any sense. Sometimes it feels to me like the Browns offense is backwards from most offenses, especially when it comes to explosiveness and big plays that in the NFL, of course, we're, we're conditioned that throwing is aggressive. That's how you make big plays happen. That you throw the ball down the field or you hit a fast guy in a slant and away he goes. It almost feels to me that like sometimes the Browns throw it the boots and the little throws to the tight ends and stuff like the bounce, throw it to keep the chains moving. And then they explode in the run game that like, Hey, if we, if we set up, Hey, set up enough of these little throws to keep a defense honest, maybe get a guy out of the box and then we're going to hit a wide zone and a cutback lane. And that's our explosive play where every other team in the league is, well, you run the ball to sort of be physical and then you throw it to be explosive. I don't know if that makes sense. And I don't know if that's related to EPA, but it's a thing that's been in my head and it almost sort of relates to the thing that we're going to talk about later about the third and nine. It's like, Oh, well, why would you do? And it's like, well, because that's actually, they're a backwards offense. I like, does, does any of that make any sense to you? And does any of that apply to anything you're doing Or is it just a huge tangent that's ruining? Well, well, two things I'll say about that is number one, Yes, the Browns get more out of their running game than most teams. But number two, passing is always going to have more value than running. No matter how good the Browns are running the ball, there's going to be more value in passing. That's just the way it works. And they are great okay. at getting those five to 10 yard runs. But, you know, you pass for that all the time. Uh, you okay. don't run for that all the time. So from that standpoint, passing is never going to, you know, running's never going to overtake passing in the big picture, but the Browns do get more. Uh, out of their running game than, than other teams. Okay. I also, so you're, like, you're halfway there. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for the backwards thing. Um, you're yeah. a little older than me, but when I was in college, this, the, the, it was the crisscross, the little, little uh, kid hip hop group. You ever listen to crisscross? Crisscross will make you. I jump. remember you know, yes. the daddy, the, Max pan, make you. the backward pants. The backwards pants, like the backwards baseball jerseys. Yeah, so they yeah. would play that song at my fraternity and I would like run into a closet and put my pants and my, jer- and my shirt on backwards because <laughs> I wanted to be like crisscross. So that has brought me today to wondering if this offense is backwards. Sorry. I didn't go to parties where they played crisscross, but. 
You don't want to. It's a nightmare for people. Please don't envision that. Me with my, my clothes on backwards dancing to crisscross is like a 20-year-old, a lame 20-year-old white guy. Oh, my God. It was the worst. But that's still who I am today. All right. Back to football, apparently. So, so that's who they are. The idea, Scott, I am surprised. I'm not surprised by anything you're saying about where they are now. I'm surprised by the fact that you're saying they were 16th in EPA rushing yeah. EPA a year ago, that they're one now. It like really does put in a context of like, because I always thought they were good. It's like, if you would have said to people last year, oh, they were really good at running it, right? Well, actually by this very important stat, they were in the middle of the league and now they're number one. That's a huge jump, man. Yeah, and it, and it does help that they ran the ball so much or maybe it, it kind of, they ran the ball almost as much, almost more than anybody last season. They're already ahead of everybody this season. So, you know, the more you do something, the more opportunities you have to fail, obviously, and the harder it is to keep up an average. But this year, I think may, makes it even more impressive because they are leading the league and they're still doing so well in EPA. But uh, as far as how they get to that point, like how. Yeah, so why? Like why? Because yeah. it's the same people. It's the same play caller and the same people. How is this happening? Uh, so there's a, there's a few different areas that kind of stood out to me as I was going through this. They've gotten better against eight man boxes. When facing a box with eight or more players, the Browns lead the league in EPA per attempt. They were 12th last season. And I'll get to one of the reasons why that, that could be. But I also wanted to mention personnel groupings here before I get to that, because when it comes to running out of the groupings that they use the most, the Browns have pretty much improved across the board. They have at least a 51% success rate running out of 11 personnel, 12, 21, and 13. Those are like the four that the Browns stick to all the time. It's just a constant rotation. That includes 59% in 21 personnel, which is two running backs, one tight end. So that usually includes Andy Janovich or Harrison Bryant in that fullback role. And then 55% success rate when they're using 13 personnel, which is when they got three tight ends on the field. The Browns weren't having that success last year. They were down at 45% when they had two running backs out there, 46% when they had three tight ends out there. Actually, they struggled so much in 13 personnel last year that I really wondered if they'd move away from it this year. Yeah, because we're talking they about used that. it. Yeah, they used it 14% of the time last year. The league average was 4%. So they were way ahead of everybody else uh, in, in leaning into three tight ends. But they, they're actually using it more. They're up to 21%, again, leading the league. That is unbelievable. Yeah. A fifth of the time they have three tight ends on the field. Is that somewhat a reflection of Jarvis's absence, do you think? That it's like, well, let's get our best players on the field. Or do they just want to do it anyway? I think some of it has to do with Jarvis being out because they are using their tight ends in the slot uh, almost okay. at an equal rate with Richard Higgins. Right now, uh, like in the first game of the season, they came out and had Andy Janovich on the field for like almost the entire first two drives, much to Ellis's chagrin. Um, <laughs> but uh, since then, yeah, since, since Jarvis's injury – Tight ends, I think, have gotten a lot more snaps. I mean, all these guys are getting like over 30% of the snaps, and that didn't happen at all last year. It was usually Bryant and Hooper for the first part of the year, way you know, high in snap count. Njoku was down, and then Njoku kind of passed up Hooper. Hooper had his growing pains towards the end of the year, and Njoku okay. kind of came on strong. Um, so that has, been, that has been a big difference, and I think Jarvis does, does play into that. But – but even beyond that, they've improved in 22 personnel when they got two running backs, two tight ends out there, pretty much just across the board. They've gotten better running the ball out of these, uh, especially these heavy formations. And 
this has happened with health issues at tackle at left tackle this season and Wyatt Teller grading almost 20 points lower than he did last season as a run blocker. The good news is that Teller had a decent margin for error there. He's still at 75.8 as a run blocker for a PFF grading. So that's more of like a, a mortal man's performance compared to last season's superhero effort, you know, of 93.6. So he's not what he was, but he's not chopped liver. He's still performing at a, a good level uh, against the run or in the run game for the offensive line. So there's, there's that. I know you, you have a rant like locked and loaded against his okay. pass protection. Spin, but- <laughs> spin the Wyatt Teller, however you want to spin it. He's not getting paid here. So, so, okay. oh, it's still good though. It's still good. It's, it's okay. He's doing fine against the run. Uh, the Browns have made up for Teller's, um, I guess, drop a little bit though with Petonio and Conklin. They're both grading like six to nine points higher uh, than they did last season for PFF. Also, and there's, I get to the tight ends, Austin Hooper has been a huge factor in this. Last year, he had the worst PFF run blocking grade among Browns tight ends, 58.7. Now, in Hooper's defense, he was asked to run block a lot more here than he had been in Atlanta. In yeah. 2018 and 2019, he was a, those two, two Pro Bowl years for him with the Falcons. He had 230 and 178 run blocking snaps. Last season, he had 353 with the Browns. So that's a big change. He had 360 his second year in the league, and he did pretty good uh, with the Falcons that year. And I'm sure that factored into the Browns thinking, like, let's get him back to that. Uh, but it, obviously, it still took a little bit of work uh, to do that because this year Hooper's run blocking grade is up to 71, which ranks 12th among tight ends league wide. And I think he's really benefited from the whole continuity aspect of this offense and especially the offensive line. Cause he talked to us in August about having like being able to have that communication and being able to verbally communicate with a guy next to you and knowing how to do that right away without, you know, telling the defense what you're doing. Um, he pointed that out as a real big thing for him and going into another year next to the guys that he's used to playing with, as opposed to the year before when, you know, he's out there introducing himself and they were on zoom all off season. So that's clearly, clearly helped him. As far as the other two guys, Njoku and Bryant are down a bit in run blocking gray, but not drastically. They're kind of in the same ballpark. Um, so that, you know, coupled with Hooper's boost. And then the fact that they are really using 13 personnel a lot more leads to a better run game. And that's really good news because Andy Janovich has not played as well this year. He was second among fullbacks in run blocking grade last year. He's down to like 56 flat in run blocking grade, and he landed on IR this week. So it's Johnny Stanton time. We got to see what he's got. Uh, but the tight ends uh, are a big reason, I think, why why this run game has kind of taken a bump up this season. Do you think his grade went down because Ellis hurt his feelings? <laughs> I don't know. He certainly had a lot of opportunity there in that first game. It's when we did the podcast and Ellis talked about don't throw to Nick Chubb, don't have Andy Janovich on the field. And they come out against the Chiefs. Andy Janovich is out there. They actually threw to Andy Janovich, threw to Nick Chubb. And yeah, like we mentioned, uh, I, I was wondering what if Ellis was feigning or, or whatever. But yeah. Okay. So that is, it's interesting because I, I would think, Scott, that would there not be an assumption of, people figuring out the Browns, right? Defense is figuring out the Browns. We know what they want to do. We know how they're going to get out there. We know Stefanski as a play caller, as a head coach now. We know, and it's, they're doing, they're doing a lot of the same stuff. They're doing some of the more unusual stuff more. Do you think it's that? So if they're doing more 13, 
personnel, right? With the three tight ends on the field. And that's just so unusual in the league. Are they doing it more because it's one of their wrinkles to continue to keep defenses off balance? Or are they just at the point with this run game where they're not really trying to trick anybody. They just have the people who can execute it. And Stefanski knows when to call what at the right time. And he just thinks 13 is they have three good tight ends and we want those guys on the field and we're not trying to trick anybody. Well, I think it's kind of half and half. I think there was room for improvement uh, as far as execution goes, you know, especially, like I said, with, with getting better blocking out of your tight ends uh, with guys like Batonio and Conklin playing a little bit better in certain aspects. Um, you knew Teller wasn't going to, you know, Teller was a big reason for a lot of things last season, uh, but <clears throat> Getting some better performance matters, but then also it's not like they're lining up with three tight ends and everybody's close, uh, you know, lined up in line and, and there's nobody out wide, you know, you have one receiver out wide. It's not, this isn't, that isn't all their running plays. It's spreading them out. It's motioning people. It's putting Hooper back into the backfield, uh, motioning him yeah. back into the backfield and, and using those tight ends to get matchups and figure out what the defense is going to do. And um, that all plays into it. Uh, so it isn't as simple as it's kind of half and half. It's, executing better but it's also just a second year of an offense and right being able to do more having guys who understand better what they're supposed to do uh stuff like that okay all right so this is all leading up to the third and nine run play is that correct that's what we're heading toward here we are all right all right buckle up everybody we'll get to exactly why that happened and what it means next on gotta watch the tape Scott and Doug back. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Browns every day. Read it every day. It's good for you. And also listen to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast five days a week. We're in here in this feed on Thursdays, but lots of great stuff. Make your catch Hey Mary Kay early in the week. We have our game preview, the post-game stuff. People love the post-game podcast. Make sure you just got, make you're subscribed, right? If you're listening to this, you're subscribed. So you're getting every Orange and Brown Talk episode wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Scott. Kevin Stefanski has basically like thrown himself on everybody's mercy for like, I don't know why I did it, but I did it right. He's, he's come clean on the idea of running Kareem hunt on third and nine in that situation. Maybe was not the best idea. Is that a correct way of, uh, of characterizing that? Sure. Okay. So why do you think he did it? And did they have <laughs> the right people on the field because they did not hand it to Nick Chubb. They handed it to Kareem Hunt twice on that drive. Chubb was not on the field on that last drive. They handed it to Hunt on first down. They handed it to Hunt on third down. So I knew I was going to talk about this when we were doing the post game podcast on Sunday, because this is built around something that you brought up and I'm paraphrasing here, but we were talking about the, that drive with three fifteen to go. They're up by one. They get the ball at their own, 18, 15, 18. Uh, and you asked a question you, and you said, is Nick Chubb definitely not in the game? 161 yard Nick Chubb is definitely not in the game with the game on the line. That's just where we are. That's basically what you asked. And I said, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you're basically asking us if we're cool with that. So Kareem Hunt, like we said, was a running back for all three plays on that drive. <clears throat> he gained one yard on first down. He gained three yards on third down. In between, there was uh, an incomplete pass. So I'll start here. Running backs coach Stump Mitchell told us earlier in the season that the choice of running back is mostly up to him. He's documenting snaps, counts of each, 
And he says it's something he juggles with the entire game. And he even joked that if he's over by more than like two snaps on these guys, he gets chewed up by Stefanski. And Stefanski said, are you kidding? Have you seen some Mitchell? I'm not chewing him out. Um, <laughs> so, but Stump also said that Hunt is the quote unquote third down back, but either guy has an equal chance to play on any other down. So I think that's important to keep in the back of your mind because when the Browns got the ball with 315 to play here, roughly is where the Browns were with snaps on these guys. Nick Chubb was at 35. Kareem Hunt was at 26. Now, I'm going to assume that if that drive had lasted longer than three plays, Chubb would have been on the field during it based on the snaps those guys have gotten this season. Chubb is getting about 52% of the snaps. Hunt is at about 45%. So it's close, but Chubb is always a little bit ahead. And then that's really, that's about where they ended up against the Chargers because on that final drive, Hunt played like the first three plays and Chubb was actually on the field, mostly in pass protection for like the final five plays of that game. Um, so they both, they kind of met their averages. They were right about where they were. So Stump Mitchell doesn't get yelled at. Now, as for the player you want on the field in that situation, I think that's, that's the question that, that probably needs to be asked. Chubb obviously has more rushing yards and more carries than Hunt. He, I think most people would assume, is the quote-unquote lead running back on this team. No matter how good you think Hunt is, no matter how many times people say the Browns have a two-headed monster, Chubb is always kind of considered the main guy. He's also averaging more yards per carry, but it's kind of close. Chubb's at 5.8, Hunt's at 5.4 this season. Uh, I got some other comparisons. DVOA, which measures efficiency against a league-wide baseline. Chubb is ranked 11th, Hunt ranked 7th. Rushing yards over expected, which means rushing yards that it's kind of related to EPA, rushing yards, you know, you're not you get they weren't necessarily expected based on down distance stuff like that chubb is third hunt is second success rate which again is like the value how it goes with the value of like a three run three yard run on third and four does not have the same value as a three yard run on third and two success rate chubb is 15th hunt is 11th epa per attempt chubb is eighth Kareem Hunt is first among all running backs in the NFL in EPA per attempt. Now they have the same rankings for total EPA on running plays. They're eighth and first. In fact, Hunt's EPA is more than double Chubbs at this point. And finally, there's boom and bust rate, which measures how often a running back has positive EPA, which would be the boom, or negative EPA, which would be the bust on their carries. Chubb, boom rate, fifth. Hunt, boom rate, leads the league. Chubb, bust rate is third. Hunt, bust rate is sixth. Now, I'm not definitely saying that you put Kareem Hunt on the field with 315 to go when you need to close out a win. I'm just saying that the data suggests that Nick Chubb, putting Nick Chubb on the field isn't as cut and dry of a decision as it might initially seem. Now, as far as calling a running play on third and nine from your own 18 with 211 to play, have a little research on that. I looked up all runs on third and nine from any spot on the field with between two and three minutes to go in the fourth quarter since the beginning of last season. That's happened 12 times. The Browns have done it three times. That's more than any other team in the league. Kareem Hunt on Sunday obviously was the most recent. Prior to that, Baker Mayfield ended up running for eight yards against the Raiders last season. Uh, they, they, they missed a field goal at the end of that drive and lost the game. Prior to that, though, Dernis Johnson ran for 28 yards on third and nine from the Browns' own 43 
with 227 left to play to help close out the win against the Colts. I went back even like to 2017 to see if either Hunt or Chubb had, had ever picked up a first down on such a play, but neither is neither guys had an attempt beyond beyond hunts on Sunday. So I guess the question we should really should be asking is where was Ernest Johnson Sunday when they needed him most? This is too much homework. <laughs> you have just told me and our listeners in the last three minutes that the Ernest Johnson should have been on the field and that Kareem Hunt is better than Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is their um, third best running back in that situation. I'm not saying that Kareem Hunt is definitely better than Nick Chubb. I'm just saying that if you look at that situation, and I'm not even saying that Stump Mitchell or Kevin Stefanski is looking at those numbers on their play sheet and figuring out, yeah, let's get Hunt in there. Um, I'm saying that those guys are very there's, – there, there's very little gap between them this season. And by the way, Nick Chubb had 161 yards. 96 of those came on three plays. Which the rest is of the why game, I average, want him in the game so he can have, I, I know, make it I know. four plays. I, I want know. a 30-yard run in that situation. True. But he averaged 3.6 yards per carry on, on the rest of his 18 carries that game. Again, he is one of the best boom running backs in the league. And he's been that way since he got here. Right. Uh, he's among the league leaders in, in, in explosive plays and runs of 10 yards or more and runs of 15 yards or more. Um, the, the, point, the point I'm making is that having Kareem Hunt on the field in that situation was not. I'm cool with it. So he, here's the thing. The previous drive, the previous drive that was a touchdown in a critical situation, they started with Hunt on the field and they threw him a screen yeah. and he got a nice pickup and there was a face mask at the end of it. Then the next play, they put Chubb in and Chubb ran for 20 plus yards and then Chubb ran again for like eight and then they put Hunt in and Hunt finished it off. And that's what I want. Here's the problem that I had with it. And I know you can't only, you can't have Hunt in the game and throw it to him and Chubb in the game and run it to him. I mean, you have to be flexible. Your personnel on the field have to be able to do everything. What I didn't like in that moment was handing it to Kareem Hunt on first down, even before the third down run. That if you want to hand it to somebody there, hand it to Chubb. And if you have Hunt in the game, then either throw on, on first down and then have hunt be the check down or just throw a screen to hunt. Like you had done the previous drive. I just, the way it was the personnel and the play call sequencing that I didn't like. And then in the moment, I mean, we have to still drill down on the third and nine thing. It's the wrong call, right? I mean, it's not even though now the like my backwards theory is like the only defense of that. Well, listen, Hey, it's third and nine. We need a big play. We're the crisscross offense. We're the backwards offense. Uh, the, our best chance of a big play is a run there, right? That's why we did it because it's that's the only defense of it because I just – the idea of either – I don't know. I mean, the element of surprise or that we believe in it so much, I, it just it, – it doesn't make sense to me, and especially when Chubb is the boom back. Who has a better chance of getting nine yards? Because Kareem Hunt, I get he's the goal line back. If I need two yards – I do probably want to give it to Kareem Hunt because I feel like he's more physical at the point of attack and he's going to get in and Chubb is more, I want Chubb hitting a cutback, but at third and nine, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, mean, you, like, I want Nick Chubb on the field. He's, I, he's worked so hard. Everybody loves him. Not that everybody doesn't love Kareem Hunt. It's just, I think you could argue that like Nick Chubb is their second best football player behind miles Garrett. 
Except Kareem like, Hunt might be their second best football player. And you could argue that Kareem Hunt's been their best player this year. I know you could. I know you could. They have too many good players. Like, it's it's easy to to look, that wasn't a good series. And Kevin Stefanski even admitted it. And he did it Sunday, he did it Monday. Uh, the play calling was not great. Uh, I mean, Kareem Hunt leads the league in screen reception, screen yards, and EPA per target on screens. I mean, that that drive seemed to be screaming for a screen. But yeah, he also wanted to get the clock running. That was important too. So you start with a running play to get that off the off the ground. If you start with a screen play, there's the you know. You could throw an incompletion, get batted, you know, you might get under pressure, just get blown up and then the the play clock stops. And, and what you wanted to do most on that first play has now, you know, not happened. So I understand that Um, it could have been better. And he admitted that Uh, I'm not saying third and nine running the ball was a great option, but I'm sure that he was hoping to get more than three yards and turn it into maybe a doable fourth down. I mean, you're so far back in your own territory, though. I don't, I don't, right. it wasn't really fourth down territory. But they still scored a touchdown after they punted. And yeah, getting a first down in that situation, your win probability just skyrockets versus punting the ball and then hoping that because they only need a field goal. So, um, so there's a, there's a spot on Twitter where people, you know, thought him going forward on fourth down would have been a good idea there, even even after what whatever they got on third and nine. What 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 would you have called on third and nine? <sighs> was, here's, anything here's other than a draw, I think uh, a screen would have been nice. But then you know we saw them try that against the Chiefs in the playoffs, and that didn't really work. So, uh, but I think a screen probably would have been among the options. I mean, a draw play. If, if, if I went into that play thinking I'm going to go for it on fourth down, I'm doing something other than a draw play. Yeah. Um, to try and. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard. I, like, I just want a quick hitter there. Right. I just want a little slant or something with hit a receiver on the move that and it always makes I hate it. And especially with a quarterback like Baker. Listen, if your quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, and they can conjure magic whenever a team has a got to have it down and the quarterback looks at his first read and it's not there, and then he pulls it down, and now it's like, well, now it's just chaos. Now you have no plan, and now you're just hoping somebody gets open. I don't want that for the Browns on third and nine. I don't think that's ideal. If if Lamar or Patrick Mahomes or somebody like that, Josh Allen, is all of a sudden going to be running around, and now there's chaos, and they can run, they can make some kind of crazy throw, that might be a good thing for that offense. So I guess I don't know. But to me, that's like, well, you have three tight ends. Maybe there's a spot to throw to Ninjoku or or Hooper there or something. I just – I thought that and, – and that Nick Chubb, like, doesn't see the light of day is just – it's just difficult. But I guess maybe also, you know, you're trying to work the clock and you're not running guys in and out. I get it. I just – it was so bad. In the end, it just was so yeah. bad that it's hard. To, it's like, I don't know what the – we don't have to have answers. We're not the coach. We can just say that was wrong, and he said that was wrong. That third and nine play was not it, and I don't think he'll do it again. But I would – the thing that I didn't know, and if you're making a case for their balancing snaps, wherever, I don't want it to be that, hey, Kareem Hunt is just more of a, of a threat in the passing game, and in that situation, we want to make sure that – the running back is a threat in the passing game. So like Nick Chubb's never going to be in the game in that situation because Nick Chubb is only in the game in like steady football time 
That I don't like, but that's not what you're saying. It doesn't sound like that's what Stefanski's saying. If it's just a rotation, but also I don't like the rotation thing either because it's like, oh, it wasn't Nick Chubb's turn. It's like, oh, it wasn't Nick Chubb's turn. He's still Nick Chubb. He's not exhausted over there. Derrick Henry would have been in the game, right? I, it's, it's, Derrick Henry is always in the game. I know, but it's like we're stuck in a place where it's like you people argue that Nick Chubb is the best running back in the NFL. And then we could also argue he's the second best running back on his own team, which gives people which can give you a headache. Yeah, but both they're that's both implying true. that he's somehow worse than all that a lot, a lot of other NFL running backs, but they're both very, very high overall, yeah. you know. So I, I that play that that drive went downhill because of first down, because of the fact that they really didn't get anything on first down and it just kind of spiraled from there. But I do get that one that you want to get the clock running. And that's kind of, that's where that drive started. The idea that you want to get the clock running and pick up yards and not have it stopped right off the bat. Because if you throw on first down and you don't get anything, then you're running on second and 10 or are you throwing on second down again? And if you're throwing again and you don't get anything again, well then now you've used up like, you know, four seconds. So, right. No, I know. Ain't easy. I know, <laughs> but it almost winds up. It's one of those things. Again, it's almost like, it feels like if you don't get a first down, the chargers are going to score. So then you're not trying to milk clock. It's like, almost mm-hmm. like, well, who cares if like, we don't get the first down, it doesn't matter. So, and actually if you throw three incompletions and the chargers get the ball back, then the Browns are going to have more time after. Anyway, the other thing, the other thing is this, and I don't know how much this has been covered because I haven't been on the bronze interview sessions this week. Baker had Odell open on second down and didn't throw it to him. And I don't know how much that has been covered. Is that a talking point? He looked at the first read on the sideline, didn't take it, and then looked at Odell and Odell was wide open for at least a six or seven yard pass and probably room to catch it and get the first down. And he didn't throw it and then took a shot to Higgins. It didn't seem like it was there. Yeah, and, and he was asked about the whole connection and getting the ball to Odell and not, you know, him only having three uh, three targets in that game. And, you know, it was similar to, to other to other answers. It's, you know, you're, you're going where the play takes you and stuff like that. And Do, do you know what and, I'm talking about, though? Have you freeze-framed yeah. that? Because it looks like the play oh, took yeah. him right to yeah. Odell and he looked at him, Odell was open, and he didn't take it. And I have no idea yeah. why. Yeah, I mean – yeah, when you're the quarterback and you're standing back there and you're looking at the safety and the linebackers and who's going to close on that ball, it's, you know. See, now we're the quarterback now, can be tough. Now it's no longer got to watch the tape. Now it's got to complain about the quarterback, which is That's every right. podcast and every radio That's show right. around the nation. So we don't want to do that. The bottom line is I think you made you at least gave some people some information about the decision of why Nick Chubb's not in the game. Next time that happens and there's a drive like that, would you like to see Nick Chubb in the game? Or do you open to stump Mitchell balancing the carries? They're both really good and that nobody should be too wound up about whether Hunt or Chubb is in the game at any particular moment because they're both very good. And that's a, a, a strength of this team. Yeah. I think I come down and it doesn't matter to me who's in the game. Okay. Except when you get to the goal line, when you get into the goal line, I think Kareem Hunt needs to be in the game. Cause I think he's proven in the numbers back it up that he's just better near the goal line uh, than than Nick Chubb is for whatever reason. It's still a mystery. I agree with that, but also it leads us back to Nick Chubb, best running back in the league, (laughs) not in the game on third down, not in the game at the goal line. And it's like, okay, then when is he playing again? And of course he plays more than Kareem. We know what the answer is. This 
This is why this is why uh, this is what leads into the whole uh, argument of running backs don't matter, which we're not going to get into here. But this is this is wrapped up in all that. Yeah. Okay. We are going to take one more break and then come back. Scott has a couple things to keep an eye on on Sunday. I, I think that helped you process what happened last week. What's going to happen this week against the undefeated Arizona Cardinals? Next, I've got to watch the tape. Doug and Scott back. I've got to watch the tape. I'm going to do this now as Scott is carrying the load for all this stuff. We'll, we'll try to add this at the end of every got to watch the tape, at least for the next couple of weeks. It's kind of like a, uh, what'd you call it? Good news, bad news about what's ahead for the Browns against Arizona. What do you want to start with? Start with the bad news. Start with the bad news. So we end on a positive note. Well, I have. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to start with the good news, but then I'll get to bad news at the end again. So don't worry. I, I won't end on a, uh, on a bad note for the Browns, but I'm going to start with, I'm going to start with the good news uh, for the Browns here too. The Cardinals have an even worse run defense than the Chargers had. So that's really good news. The cards are good in short yardage run defense. Like they have a really good uh, power success rate, which is just grinding out those, those short yards and then stuffed rate. They, they don't, they, they're able to stuff teams pretty well, but the Cardinals let runners get into that five to 10 yard range a lot. They rank 32nd in stopping that. They rank 23rd in open field yards, which again, great news for the Browns because explosive plays are, are what Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are really good at. They're last actually in limiting explosive play running plays this season. Um, they're fifth in stopping explosive pass plays. So Baker Mayfield uh, in the passing game will have their work cut out for them. But as far as running goes, uh, I think you go into this game expecting another good performance like you saw against the Chargers. The Cardinals rank 31st in PFF run defense grade. They have 43 missed tackles, uh, which is kind of, it's not as bad like ranking wise as you might think. Uh, it's kind of middle of the pack, but um, they, there are six players with at least four missed tackles and three of them have five missed tackles on the Cardinals. Only two players on the Cardinals defense have a run defensive grade of at least seven. Zayvon Collins is one of them. Uh, Mark, Edge Marcus Golden is the other. By comparison, the Browns have nine players grading at 70 or above against the run. And one of them, Troy Hill, is over 80. So rushing yards are there to be had, it would seem, against the Cardinals, much the same way we we thought they were going to be there against the Chargers, and they, they ended up being that. Um, they Browns had a season-high 230 yards rushing. So throw out all the EPA and DV, DVOA mumbo-jumbo that I, that I went over earlier. Throw that out the window. The Browns should be able to run on the Cardinals no matter who they use, no matter who's okay. on the field. Um, so some bad news. I got the bad news. Can I guess? Can the you? Ba- can I guess the bad news? Because I think I think, have it. I think what, I what do you have think it. the bad news is? The bad news is that Cliff Kingsbury is the only coach in the NFL more handsome than Kevin Stefanski. So typically, you know, they're playing Andy Reid, right? They're playing like some guys. It's like the Browns are winning the handsome the HC um, a head coach. Uh, I don't even know what the a is, but the, attractiveness uh, attract head coach attractiveness. That's good. <laughs> the head coach attractiveness meter. The Browns typically win that, but they might be in the hole on Sunday. So what's the second piece of bad news? It's, it's going to be a battle. It really is. Um, Kyler Murray. That's the second That's the piece of bad news here. He is sixth in PFF passing grade fifth in passing DVOA. He's been sacked 10 times which ranks 10th. That's actually three less than Baker's been sacked. Uh, but 
here's the thing. He gives him pressure on only 26% of his dropbacks, which ranks 31st. That's not out of 32 quarterbacks. That's out of like 37 or 38 guys who have, you know, played a decent amount of snaps, but it's still really low. And even when you get pressure on Murray, it doesn't matter because he leads the NFL in passing grade under pressure, 86.6. Yeah. So that's the bad news for the Browns. I think as far as a defense goes, and a lot of guys talked about this uh, today when, when we heard from them uh, uh, in interviews that containing him, cutting off his, his running lanes, because he was a big reason why the Cardinals almost joined the Browns last season with a couple 1000 yard rushers. Uh, he was, he had a really good rushing season last season. Uh, but if you want to keep him in the pocket and pressure him, it's really hard to make that effective because he's really become a quarterback who can deal with that in the NFL. So that's, that's, that's the bad news. <laughs> I've never, I've never researched this, which is a bad thing to say in this podcast. I do have a theory sometimes that those quarterbacks who are accustomed to sort of always getting away from pressure and that they're not really worried about pressure because they always feel like they can escape and do something. They are susceptible to miles because miles is more athletic than any defensive end out there. And he's Mm -hmm. kind of, he's practically as fast as some of these guys. And I think sometimes they get like, Oh, well, this guy's rushing me. I'm not worried about that. And then it's like, Oh, it's that guy rushing you. And so most of the time you can escape and get outside, but you can't get outside and escape from him. I probably should look that up, but you know what I'm talking about as a theory, right? Yeah. Plus, plus he's, I mean, him and Clowney are super tall and they can, you know, jump and leap and catch you five yards away. So, uh, but it's going to be like Miles Garrett goes around the outside so much that there's always going to be that gap there, that that escape route. And the Browns have to guard against that. And that's, you know, uh, that's a linebacker or the defensive tackle, making sure that that's not too wide and Clowney meanwhile really likes to go inside when he rushes. So that leaves an escape route on the outside. So again, the Browns have to have to guard against that as well. Um, but I do have another piece of good news for the Browns that we, so we can end on a good note. Um, Kyler Murray, he, he actually leads the league in play action dropbacks. They're doing play action 36% of the time this season, uh, but he actually performs better without it. His completion percentage actually drops by a few percentage points when he uses play action. Uh, without it, he leads the league in completion percentage, his third in passing grade with, with play action. He falls down to 10th in completion percentage and his passing grade drops to like 19th. So if you're able, they, they can't run the ball very, very well at all either. So I yeah. think that's, it's really hard for a defense not to bite on play action. Though. Like everybody who says you need to establish the run in order to build play action off it. Well, the Cardinals are the proof that that is not true because they do not have a good running game. And yet uh, they still do a lot of play action and it mostly, you know, they, they have, they have a very good offense, obviously. So you don't need to have a really good, good rushing attack to, to make that work. But the point here is that Murray is not passing as well out of that as like Baker Mayfield is Baker Mayfield's percentage jumps like almost 14% when they use play action. So it's a little bit of a difference in how things work with both, with both offenses. I don't know how that's going to end up helping the Browns in the end. I don't know if that's really a good note, but it's something Kyler Murray isn't so great at. So I, I thought I'd include it as, as an ender here. I will say sometimes when you're watching a game, when they do play actions, like, uh Oh, that's going to work. Right. There's like, I think there's like a thing of like, well, that seems tricky, even though, because it is, it's like, it's just the human instinct. If you could program a robot, if you could do that, if you could program humans, don't bite when it looks like they're handing the ball, to the running back, just don't do it. 
Mm-hmm. So it, if when Browns fans are watching the game and when Kyler does that, don't immediately panic. Like, uh-oh, here comes a big play because he's actually better when they don't do that. That is, I think, the thing yeah. that will help people watch it on Sunday. Yeah, linebackers are going to take that step or two forward. Um, but it's, it's not – I mean, when the Browns do play action, when Baker's rolling out, whenever I see that, I think this has potential to be really good yep. because he's really good when that happens. When he rolls out and he's got – uh, you know, the tight end running five yards ahead of him. And he's got uh, another receiver, like 10, 15 yards downfield. And everybody's kind of right in front of him. There's a running back in the flat in front of him. Uh, good things are going to happen. That isn't always the case with, with the Cardinals. Okay. Good to know. All right. That's going to do it. Forgot to watch the tape. Scott Pasco, all kinds of heavy lifting that will continue. We'll plan to work some other people in here. Uh, as we continue to keep Gotta Watch the Tape rolling, a way to analyze the Browns with film and numbers. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com. Be a Browns insider. You'll find that on the page, cleveland.com slash Browns. Just so worth it if you care about the Browns. So worth it. We appreciate you guys making Gotta Watch the Tape part of your Browns fandom. For Scott Patsko, I'm Doug Maurice. A fond farewell and best of luck to Ellis Williams. Thanks to you guys, and thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.